Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thanks for joining us as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 18 and I'm calling today's episode The Upside Down and Downside Up Kingdom. Things are a whole lot different in Christ's kingdom than they were in the days of Jesus and his apostles, as well as today is what we're going to see. Matthew chapter 18 opens up with his disciples coming to Jesus and saying, which of us is the greatest in the kingdom? They were comparing themselves with one another. And you think, this is unbelievable. Coming to Jesus and trying to say which is the greatest when he just basically revealed who he was, that I am meek and humble of heart, and here they're coming wanting to boast with each other. But, you know, this this hasn't left us. Um, someone was recommended to me uh, actually as a potential staff person here, and I went to that person's website, and right at the top, uh, this person had a ranking, uh, in, given by another person, but a ranking on how he stood amongst other uh, Catholic teachers. And I thought, wow, um, I'm sure he's very gifted, but has he understood some of the basic teachings of the New Testament, uh, some of the basic teachings of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit? And if that's the entrance to Christ's kingdom and you're ranking yourselves, it's kind of like you're back with the clueless disciples. So it still is in our midst today. And so Jesus, as an object lesson, starting in verse 2, Jesus calls to him a child and puts them in the midst of them. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins his statement after he gets his child in front of the disciples, arguing with each other who is the greatest. When he says, truly, this is this is a statement like verily in the old King James. Jesus wants to pay attention because this is something very serious. He says, unless you turn and become like this child, unlike you're behaving right now, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I guarantee you, this is a verse that a lot of people just read over and think, oh, that's nice. Jesus likes kids. Well, he does like children, but there's more here. In other words, how the disciples were acting, Jesus says, truly or verily, I say to you, unless you turn, unless you change, become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You're done with. And this applies today. And to think that this doesn't go on today is just fantasy because we have the same tendencies within us. Our world is upside down. 
Jesus is trying to turn it right side up again. And one of the things that's critical in his kingdom is we want to exalt the human ego and weigh ourselves in contrast to other people. This is what St. Augustine said. If you ask me, what's the essential thing in religion and the discipline of Jesus Christ? In other words, what's the core? What's the core? And he, he said this, first, humility. Second, humility. Third, humility. Unless you turn, there's no heaven. It's that serious. And people think, well, you know, if I rob a bank and don't repent, or if I do this or that and don't repent, I go to hell. But Jesus is saying, unless you turn, you will never enter God's kingdom. And yet we tend to think, well, uh, is it is it really that serious? It's that serious. Because a lot of people see the Beatitudes as kind of a pathway or a ladder into God's kingdom, and it all begins with the first Beatitude, poor in spirit. If that opens up the kingdom, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Well, if there isn't humility but pride instead, what happens? That door to the kingdom is blocked, absolutely blocked. And I don't think many of us realize living in a culture like ours, particularly a media-saturated culture, including social media-saturated culture, how twisted our culture is in contrast with what Jesus's kingdom is. My staff knows there's a, a certain, certain description that I do not care for. We have some very talented folks come through our studios and join me in radio broadcasts, but we don't call any person unless we truly hate them. I mean, really hate them. Then we'll, only then, if we hate them, will we call them Catholic celebrities. And I'm, I'm teasing in a way. You don't want to make an American idol out of a person. Uh, what's the American Idol show? It's just an average American gets on TV and we make idols out of them. Listen to that word, American Idol. And Catholics are doing the exact same thing. Can you imagine standing before the Son of God, the one who just said, unless you turn and become like this child, in other words, you humble yourself, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then you go up to Jesus and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you say, well, you know, I, I'm a Catholic influencer. I, I'm a Catholic celebrity. And I'm sorry. If that's your identity, you're done. You're toast. You, you, you're, you're, you're just the opposite of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a long-term Catholic media host, and a lot of you listening to my voice probably, and I'm serious about this, probably have a much better chance of getting to heaven than I do. Why? Because when you get into the media, uh, whatever you're thinking, whatever's on your mind and heart gets broadcasted, gets expanded. And if you want to attach pride, it's, it's like sticky glue. It's like super glue in the media. And you have to really be on your guard. And yet I find so few in the Catholic media including social media, 
are aware of this. I have the highest respect for one particular priest. He is the only priest involved in the media. I've been involved in Catholic media for just under a quarter of a century. He is the only priest that I have met that expressed publicly the need for prayer for him because of his exposures on the conference circuit and on uh, Catholic TV and radio, the dangers of him tripping up. And that was uh, Father Larry Richards. And he and I probably don't see eye to eye on everything, but boy, when I heard that, I, and I said to him, I've never heard a priest say that, but you're, you're right on the target. And we don't want to make uh, idols out of fellow Catholics because if we do that, we're setting them up for a fall. Then Jesus goes on, and he talks about scandalizing God's little ones. In fact, if you go through uh, Matthew chapter 18, you'll find three times in this chapter, Jesus talks about little ones. He talks about it in verse 6, verse 10, and verse 14. So what is uniting this chapter is Jesus is still talking about the little ones, not only having humility, but now starting in verse five, he's gonna be talking about scandalizing the little ones. Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the man by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. What, what is scandalizing a little one? Well, Pope Pius X in his catechism said, a scandal is something that's said, done, or omitted, which leads another person to commit sin. And that sin is doubly serious if we as adults, particularly as parents, before our children do something or omit something or say something that leads them to sin. And this is real serious stuff. Uh, the Revised Standard Version, the Catholic edition says in verse six, you know, whoever scandalizes a little one, it's like a great millstone fastened around his neck. Well, actually in the original Greek, it says a donkey millstone. What's a donkey millstone? Well, a donkey millstone is a huge millstone. It can't even be turned by human power. It takes a donkey to be able to turn a big millstone and to grind wheat or whatever. And Jesus is saying, you're gonna have a donkey millstone put about your neck, and then you're gonna be drowned in the depths of the sea. Well, I was in the Navy. I've also taken life-saving and water safety instruction and all that type of thing, and drowning is a terrifying way to die. And he's trying to say with other seriousness, 
if you scandalize a little one, you will be thrown into hell with eternal fire. I didn't say that. I'm just repeating Jesus's words here, which tend to be neglected in today's world. So, you know, we want to be careful, particularly as parents, um, you know, little eyes and little ears from the moment they wake up and probably before you wish they would, from the moment they wake up until they finally go to sleep, their eyes and ears are on the alert. And even when you don't realize it, they're absorbing things. I had someone ask me once, how do I keep my um, young son from saying a particularly bad four-letter word? And before I answered, or as part of my answer, I inquired, I said, well, where did he learn that four-letter word? He's, he's, he's young. Well, he was just playing in our family room while my wife and I were watching a TV show where this four-letter word was mentioned, and he's been using it ever since. You see, you think they're not even clued in. They are clued in so long as they're awake. And they're taking things in. So I suggested maybe you shouldn't be watching shows like that. That's what Jesus means. Like, cut it out of your life if it's going to scandalize a little one. And so mom and dad, um, your drinking habits, your viewing habits, your smartphone habits, your devotional habits, your prayer life are going to be absorbed by your little ones. And I'll tell you what is perhaps even sneaking into Catholic circles, something that scandalizes children. And I'm talking about classroom sex education. A lot of it is just too raw and open. It's not done with the prudence. If you want to know how to have a godly, fully Catholic sex education without scandalizing your children and endangering your very soul. This is serious stuff. Jesus saying, you're not just going to get a slap on the wrist. You're going to get a donkey millstone around your neck for eternity for scandalizing a little one. So I recommend strongly you get a hold of the truth and meaning of human sexuality. It was completely Uh, composed by the Pontifical Council for the Family under St. John Paul II. And I predicted that um, it would be eclipsed. I don't think it's still in print. It is online. The truth and meaning in human sexuality. This is how to do it without running into a Matthew 18 donkey millstone. This is very, very serious stuff. The other thing to watch out for, even for young adults and Don't just send your young adult children to any presentation of the theology of the body because there's some people doing it right and there's some people doing it wrong. I happen to be aware of one presentation at a Catholic college that so violated the modesty of one of the co-eds, she was left in tears after the presentation. If you want to present the theology of the body, do so with the prudence and delicacy that St. John Paul II did, not some uh, crazy sex talk. And these are just ways people are violating and scandalizing little ones, okay?
Now, we, Jesus goes on, and this is really a, a great part of the whole chapter of Matthew 18, and well as the whole gospel, as well as the New Testament, because we're talking about the lost sheep. And it's interesting, you find in Matthew 18, it's talking about the good shepherd and what's on his heart, what's on his motivation. We find the good shepherd talked about in John chapter 10. We find, again, a similar passage to right here in Luke chapter 15. If you ask somebody when really comes down to it and life is very hard, what psalm, what part, what single chapter of the entire Old Testament do you want to hear, one you have read? Psalm 23, without a doubt. Our good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. And one of the things that we need to do, you know, is I think there's even a book by this title. I forgot the exact title, but something like Keeping in Step with Jesus. What we want to do as Christians is we want to be near Jesus, but we need to go where he goes or else we're going to be left to our own devices. And nice memories of Jesus. <laughs> See you later, Jesus, as he goes over, over the hill and away from us. But here is how to keep in step with Jesus, starting in verse 10 of Matthew 18. He says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And this is the third time in this chapter, Matthew 18, that Jesus again mentions the little ones in the perspective of the good shepherd. And he talks about going out from ourselves, going out from our comfort zone, going out from our nice little circle of friends, whatever that would be, and go out in search of the young ones who went astray. And children's ministry, teen ministry, young adult ministry, these are the things that the Good Shepherd is involved in. This is what heaven rejoices over. And I'm going to be a little strong here, but I'm speaking as a former youth minister, okay? Um, I remember when I was a Protestant pastor, we went to a particular town in Florida and away from where we were, because we didn't want to be in competition with any other Protestant churches. And so we looked at various church buildings, get an idea. I was a mission pastor. We built a new church building and all that. But I remember going in, I think it was a Lutheran church. And, you know, when you're just getting ready to build, we went into this beautiful, it wasn't huge, but a beautiful sanctuary for this, this Lutheran church got established. And then we went in and, and met the pastor. And of course, his study was just a gorgeous study. And like, who wouldn't want an office like this type of thing? And I think there was an associate pastor. And then we came to the end of the hall and there was a door it looked like it was probably designed to be a closet, but it ended up being the youth pastor's 
<laughs> office, and it was an old metal desk with, I think, a volleyball lying on it and this and that. Was, in other words, it, it was just a, a very distant second thought. And, and yet, what do we often do as far as even budgeting? Well, we generally, and I'm, but we, um, because uh, as an apostolate, as a Protestant pastor, as a Catholic priest, uh, a church finance committee, uh, you have to have so many dollars. But you have to be very careful that dollars doesn't drive your ministry focus. Because if you do, if you're chasing dollars instead of children and youth and young adults, what's happening? You can have the nicest building and programs and everything else. Hello, Jesus, where are you, Jesus? Nice memories, but believe me, it's the vibrancy of following him. He's telling you what brings joy to heaven. He's telling you what should be priorities. Now, I suggest you find ways to send dollars. If you have a parish project, um, just pull your priest aside and say, you know, I'd really like to do something for our parish youth group. Or I understand our children's ministry needs something, and I'd like to have a special contribution for that. Or an apostolate, it's going to help children in some way, or parents help children. Um, you know, just be aware of this is where the value is. And as Catholics, are we doing a good job? Let me tell you one of my earlier experiences. Uh, well, I even have to back up a little bit. It was my last year in seminary, Protestant seminary, and I took a practical class. It was from one of the most successful evangelical pastors in New England, and it happened to be down in Lexington, so we drove down to his church, and we all gathered in a classroom, and he came in when it was time to start, and he came in, and he just it went exactly like this, and he wanted it to be memorable, and it was. He goes, gentlemen, please follow me. And we stood up and followed him. We went down a, a series of steps, and then we went into the largest, the cleanest, the most well-equipped and beautiful nursery I have ever seen in a church. And he gathered us all around a crib, and then he said, gentlemen, it all starts here. In other words, you take care of the little ones. Um, you have a clean nursery because new mothers like things clean, not people who have come in for 20 weeks and left their fingerprints all over the place. No, clean, okay? All right, fast forward. I'm now a new Catholic, and I'm working with my priest to reach those young families. And so we decided to try to have a very well-equipped nursery, which the church didn't have at that time. So Karen and I checked the classified ads. Those of you who are younger probably don't know what classified ads are, but it was before Craigslist. And we started going around to buy, you know, changing tables and cribs and all that type of thing. And it was interesting because 
I don't know, maybe it was just to awaken us, but people were asking us why we were buying this nursery equipment. And we mentioned that we were buying them for our Catholic parish. And they go, oh, well, we used to be members of that parish. And here's a young family just hanging out there, not active at all. And then I think back to my last days, again, as a Protestant pastor, I was a attending a seminar run by George Barna of the Barna Organization when he was still active in it. It was called a church growth seminar, and it basically taught you how to reach people who are unreached in any given community, and they had certain ways to go about it. And so at the end of the teaching section of the seminar, they put us in focus groups, and we had to come up with a group that is neglected in our community and then develop a plan to reach them. And it was pretty much unanimous that the best group to focus on that was being neglected that's probably open to becoming active in church were fallen away Catholics. Because the Catholics, and again, this was a common, uh, they weren't trying to put down Catholics, just common agreement. The Catholics weren't trying to reach them, but perhaps we should. And so the whole focus group was developing how do you reach these fallen away Catholic families and make them active again? Why do evangelicals figure that out and we don't as Catholics? And we hear the gospel, it goes in one ear out the other. Jesus said, you leave the 99, you go do this, and you bring them in. And one of the ways you do that, I'll just tell you what the Protestants do, is that you have the number of special events you have, because a lot of people just don't come to a Sunday to return to church. So you have a special event, and then you have the number of those attending, and they can, once you have these two figures together, they can tell you how many new members you'll have or people you reactivate in, in the church. And it's very interesting that what do we do? Well, it's frequently we have somebody in with triple PhDs and has a whiz-bang talk for everybody who's in the 90 and 9, rather than maybe a community special event for something like the terrible twos, rather than some esoteric theological topic, and bring these families back in the church where Jesus is, and Jesus will be with you, I guarantee, if you try to reach out to them. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 456 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.